Eager to make more informed decisions around crypto using data you can trust? Chainalysis demystifies cryptocurrency by providing industry-leading compliance, market intelligence, and investigation support for all crypto assets for organizations like Gemini, Crypto.com, and BlockFi. Maximize your potential with the leading blockchain data platform by visiting Chainalysis.com slash the scoop now. This episode is brought to you by IWC. IWC Schaffhausen is a Swiss luxury watch manufacturer based in Schaffhausen, Switzerland. Known for its unique engineering approach to watchmaking, IWC combines the best of human craftsmanship and creativity with cutting-edge technology and processes. Discover the full collection at IWC.com or download the IWC app to experience a virtual try-on now. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblockcrypto.com slash terms dash service. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block. And today on the other side of the mic, we have my very dear friend, visited us at the office not too long ago, which was quite pleasant. Very snappy dresser, but our uh, videos aren't working today, so can't see that. J.M. Monietti, CEO of CoinShares. Sir, how are you doing today? Very well. Thank you for having me, Frank. Of course, you know, for folks who are maybe unfamiliar with coin shares, which is probably impossible given the eccentric presence of one Meltem Demures, coin shares is one of the longest operating companies in the crypto space, certainly on the asset management side of things. It was founded in 2014 and is a pioneer in crypto asset management, but it also has a wide range of services, I think. You know, you have a trading operation, you have the asset management business, you also do some venture investing. Maybe you can kind of step in here, JM, and kind of give an overview of what exactly you guys do. Sure. The way to think about CoinShare is like a one-stop shop. And it really started in 2014 when we launched our first hedge fund, which at the time was, you know, I think it was Dan Moorhead and us pretty much doing hedge fund work in crypto. Oh, solidly in crypto. And over the time, we moved from a pure asset management business to a, a business which had another component, which was a capital market division, all that powered by our own technology. So our technology component was very, very important in terms of developing different vertical, like the asset management one, like the capital market one. And more recently, uh, we decided to extend the capacity of this technology to be able to enter the consumer game with a small acquisition in France, which we are taking back to the market. Awesome. When did that happen? I think this transaction closed late 2021, and we spent pretty much the first six months of 2022 completely restructuring, redesigning, fixing the product, and making sure we can come back to the market with a first iteration, which we can feel proud of before uh, accelerating in that narrative. 
So what have flows look like given the current market backdrop? Have they come down? What's the status? Well, the flow in general, I think the story of H1 for the flows in the entire industry has been like a kind of a a sheer drop, which has been a function of uh, the market price and the market action. Uh, There have been an uptick in Q2, uh, but we are still far behind what we were doing in 2021 in terms of flows. The market sentiment is very, well, was very red and very negative in, in H1 in general. We have a bit of a relief rally in July. We'll see if it can carry some legs in August and in the fall. And do the flows tell a story? Is there a narrative in there? Well, there's two ways to look at the flow. It's like you, you can think about it as organic and, and, and proper flow, or you think it's just market maker just like trading with themselves. If you look at exchanges like LMAX, which are solely used by market maker, mm-hmm. you can use that as a proxy of how much of flow of the entire uh, ecosystem is not really like organic flow, but flow of market maker, which are just netting each other uh, on the deck. So, you know, so the flow is just one piece of indication. The real piece of information, which we don't always have visibility on, is the amount of new dry powder coming into exchanges to deploy new capital and fresh capital. That's the real indicator of what the adoption cycle is. And another interesting metric probably is like the, you know, how USDC and, and Tether inflows and outflows are performing and giving indicator of what people are doing. So typically Tether has always been the transaction or the Fridifian for the ecosystem. So as Tether goes up in terms of AUM, in general, you can see your uh, trading volume going up as well. Uh, USDC is a very different animal in that sense that people use more for a store of value and long-term holding. So so when people are ready to deploy, you can see Tether growing and growing fast. And as people tend to reduce their exposure, but want to stay in the industry and in the ecosystem, they move to USDC. And the key metric to track here is like the mass of circulation and all the speed of circulation of Tether and Circle. And you know where Tether probably have a circulation of 67%. So it means that in 24 hours, 67% of the AUM has been flowing at least once. On the contrary, Circle is running around 7%. So you can really see that one is for trading and for transaction. And, you know, simple fact, you can pay a, a taxi in Singapore in Tether, while the other one uh, is more for people staying on the line and, and waiting for opportunities to deploy capital. You just had your earnings, I think it was yesterday. It was. Every day in crypto feels like a month, especially yesterday. Oh my God, everything was happening. You had five different earnings, coin shares. Robinhood laid off 23% of staff. MicroStrategy CEO Michael Saylor stepped down as, as CEO to step into the chairman, a newly created chairman position. And then Solana had a big sort of wallet hack situation. So I, I didn't get much sleep, as you can imagine. So here's where we but, are. Uh, do you have sleep normally? Because it's crypto, no. you never sleep. So no, no, it's, no, it's, no. It's, it's a normal day in the office. I'll sleep when I'm dead. Exactly. So I'm I'm sorry I didn't get to listen to the earnings, but I did uh, read some reporting about it. Either you or your CEO talked about how basically the firm's a bit more cautious, right? You want to capitalize on growth, but you you also 
You want to be prudent. And then I think actually you said that the contagion, likely we've seen the, the worst of it, but you said there's some potential for contagion risk in Asia. What, what were you talking about there? Yeah, let me just like uh, decompose that. We, we said different things, so we just want to not commingle all them together. Yeah. As we made public announcements, we got hit a little bit by Terra Luna uh, episode because of our exposure to Anchor and our exposure to UST. And as a result, it triggered an internal reflection about, okay, we need to make sure we are sure that all this position we have deployed and, you know, we are managing a substantial book in CFI and DeFi. And we want to make sure that we are pretty much sure that what we think we have is what we have. So it's kind of a big true-up exercise because post-Terra event, with our commodity kind of hat, we felt right away that contagion will come. We didn't really knew the amplitude of this contagion or what will be the catalyst exactly, but we had a, a good feeling for contagion was coming. If you look at plenty of crises, a lot of crises get their hero and their kind of uh, anti-hero. And, and most of the time, the anti-hero is a hero from the previous period. And you know, you, so you look at community cycle, uh, community cycle. You look at uh, Brian Hunter in the in the natural gas industry. You look at LTCM. You look at Enron. You get plenty. Or you do look at metal gas shell shaft. Uh, you get plenty of example through our commodities years, which reminding us of what was happening. So based on that, we said, okay, let's make a big trip exercise and start recalling all our positions. Start effectively making sure all our assets which were spread out in the ecosystem can come back home and our CFO can account them properly as at home. Uh, and that was kind of the exercise we start doing, which we are, you know, to a small degree still doing because there is still some stuff we are calling back, but it's, uh, it's something we have been doing at scale and which is, I would say, 95% done now. And that was an important exercise. This was on the capital market side of the business. Correct. Just to be clear, I want to kind of size up the firm just so you know people understand where it's happening. The capital markets business is that effectively a that's like a prop trading shop within. It's the a firm. prop trading shop, uh, which is completely insulated from our asset management business. So, asset totally. management position were not impacted at all by Terra. We're not impacted at all by any of the follow up events. So it's really a discussion about about our capital markets. Uh, thank you for yeah. presiding that. Yeah. And, you know, and what we did was important. And Well, it's really interesting. I mean, if you think about the original position being $120 million, you were able to limit your losses to 17.7 million euros. Yeah, well, give or take, we were exposed to, I think, 125 million worth of US Terra through Anchor, which we decreased aggressively to end up with a loss of $21 million. And the only way we managed to get out of it this way and not have a bigger loss is because, you know, once a peg starts going, it's going and it's not coming back. So we were very kind of uh, not really big believer about, yeah, the peg going to be saved by all the actors in the industry. We didn't really buy this story and uh, we start acting very early and and it was a one-way direction. So we we agreed collectively as a as a firm to take our losses at the gate and say, yes, the, you know, some people will tell you the peg will come back, but we were not part of this cohort. So we decided to just go out. 
cut our loss. So by the Monday night, so I think this depegging event starting, you know, on the Saturday night, something like this, when the curve pool start to be depleted, and it was kind of a perfect storm in terms of what happened. But at that point, we say, okay, we need to start moving, and we move in size right away. And you know, we spent probably three days and trying to exit what was left in any single form of rally we can find. Uh, because they had some rally at some point where the peg was coming back, but not enough to, to believe it in it again. And then we we got out. The whole story, as usual, of this protocol is like, it's always a liquidity constraint. The door is always very wide to get in and very narrow to get out. So you have to get first to the gate. Yeah. You know, it's interesting to me how quickly you must have had to move to mitigate that downside risk what did the war room look like it, it looks like four days and four nights in the office where yeah. we didn't really take off yeah and it doesn't happen much these days funny enough because i used to spend a lot of time in the office for the anecdote which is quite funny because you know like we're all growing up and we're living different life but i used to spend very long nights in the office working with hong kong desk and and, and u.s desk and so trying to cover everything so I was a kind of a custom person of the all-nighter. And after three nights, allegedly in the office, my partner called me and said, are you really in the office? Because I can't believe you're just spending three nights in the office in a row. <laughs> <laughs> so she called me at three, three in the morning, putting the FaceTime, saying, I want to see where you are. I was like, yeah, I'm in the office. Here's my date. And this was my head of trading. <laughs> That's phenomenal. I mean, it reminds me of the movie Margin Call, when they all come back after a night of drinking and you know, the junior analyst or whatever says to the MD, you need to, you need to take a look at this, this file or, or this document. Yeah, well, the, the, the only difference is that we don't have the stuffy people of margin call. So we were a bit more flexible and a bit more yeah. nimble than those. I don't think I've pulled an all-nighter um, since before COVID, honestly. I mean, I, I have stayed up fairly late, like... Last night was a good example of just, you know, kind of writing until one thirty ish but that's as close as I'll get, um, just because we have a fairly global team now. But when I was a, more, a bit more dogged trying to get a story out, like one time there was this project, the MakerDAO project, they were kind of splitting into two. There were two factions effectively tearing this project apart. And I met with a source to talk about it at some like very unlit hotel bar. And that was about at 12 a.m. And I think I stayed up and wrote the story till 5 a.m., filed it, fell asleep, and we published it at 7. I woke up at 8. And um, yeah, we beat Coindesk by a few minutes on that piece. But that was probably the last time. I pulled an all-nighter. Yeah, well, I think I think you know it, it happened to us from time to time, but it always happened at the worst time. I think the last time we had a bit of a spend time in the office was just the same night of our Christmas party. So all the boys came back to the office and like, oh, now we have to go back to the office. Yeah, well, that's happening. You know, so it's uh, there's all, it's it's never really happened when you want it to happen. So it's always you know kind of an unfortunate timing on the on the Sunday night or company party or something like this so it's it's never yeah. really fun but that's what it is but it, it reminds me a little bit of this kind of a uh, time where there was this big bitcoin block war where people were trying to decide yeah. which size would be small block and large block and the chinese miner where the big big 
believer in all-nighter, whereas they were discussing absolutely nothing and trying to move a comma. But it was like this kind of like never-ending, uh, long, long meeting trying to just decide what will be the right size of the block. And, yeah. and this faction were quite intense, but debating for a long time. The block wars feels like just yesterday. Yeah. Well, obviously, as a reporter or as a you know media company, <laughs> there's a lot less at stake if you miss a story. Whereas, if you you know decided to go to sleep and didn't you know mitigate your risk, you're you're out tens of millions of dollars. Whereas I just, I don't know. There's not as much. There's not as much traffic. You know, to be fair. It's not like I'm a, a one-man band, so I need to give credit yeah. to my team. And I have a fantastic team who stay up and rotate. And But I felt I have a duty to be with them on the deck and not to be just at home trying to watch Netflix. It was like kind <laughs> of like my, my job to be with them in this kind of event, which, you know, you get some traders in crypto who comes from Wall Street and who went through fire sales, who, who understand this event. But you also get a lot of guys who are out of uni who that that their first kind of real gig, and it's important to be there and to be able to train them and be able to, you know, to some degree mentor them if they need to, and be with them in this adventure. You know, it's that's kind of the limitation of working from home. Is if I have been working from home during my trading career, I would have learned nothing, because unfortunately, the great guy you learn from, and there have been many in my case. Well, you only learn from them because you follow them very closely and listen to everything they say and, and learn from them. And, and unfortunately, in trading specifically, that was, you know, working from home would have been very difficult. Yeah. I mean, I wonder what, you know, some of the war rooms or trading floors during that initial March crash when I think we were all at home. And there were so many fun stories at the time. I don't know if we wrote anything uh, to this effect, but the, the FT covered it well, where there were a lot of like latency issues with working from home and that impacting traders. It was a weird time, but um, I, I don't want to get away from the point, which is, okay, so now we kind of went through how you saw this coming to a degree as it was happening. You mitigated that risk. You stayed up late. You had everyone kind of firing at all cylinders and you knew in the aftermath of that, that there'd be this contagion effect. Now it seems like we're at the tail end of it, but you still see some risk in Asia. Can you unpack the Asia risk? Yeah, I like. Look, it's it's guess feeling. It's more sure. Like, it's a guess. Oh, it's, gut, it's, it's gut feeling. It's not like I have proof or I'm saying stuff which are like tangible. It's like you're not trying to fud, but this no, is your. It's feeling. like you know. It's just a question of like how many shoes need to drop. Yeah. Uh, before you hit the bottom. And first of all, crypto is a private company environment. So a lot of information remains private and is settled yeah. behind closed doors. So, yeah. so, you know, when Steve come out of Voyager and say, okay, well, we have a problem, he's the first one to do it because he doesn't have a choice. You know, he's like a yeah. big company. He has to make the announcement. So he's the one who take all the heat. But, you know, if you look at the, at the bankruptcy statement, and you compare it to Celsius one, you know, it's, you know, the document they pro produced and provided was of a much, much, much higher quality. So the public company element has some kind of benefits in terms of the disclosure and, and what's happening. Now, that's not the case everywhere. And on top of that, a lot of company in crypto are, you know, BVI, Seychelles, you know, like... Yeah, there's not as much disclosures that... that... So it's like the, the opacity, despite all the 
progress we're doing is quite uh, intense. So you don't have as much information as you want. So what we see is as follows. like In this kind of situation, you have the counterparties you make business with normally, and normally you are you think they're good, but in this case, by default, they become suspicious. Because even if they tell you they're good, you don't know what they have in their book and against who they are exposed. So that's this kind of domino effect where you end up having a relationship with A, but A also gets a relationship with X, Y, Z. And that's this X, Y, Z relationship you don't really manage. And you don't even know that A get this relationship. So that's this kind of massive game theory we start putting in place. Now, what is interesting is like in terms of like contagion, we heard story pretty much everywhere in Europe and in the US. But like for some reason, Asia managed to be safe and manage their book properly. I think, you know, what's happening in this event of contagion is exactly what's happening in 2008, where nothing is safe, nothing is known for sure until you get to the bottom of the of the book. And the fact that nothing, no news is coming from China or from Asia in general is, is quite surprising, especially uh, when you know that all these companies were also exposed indirectly to, to the big catalyst, which was Three Arrows. So... There is something which doesn't add up completely, and, and maybe it's being settled behind closed door. but I'm remaining cautious. I still believe there is what Arthur Hay, I think, called a floater. So I'm going to use his, <laughs> his terminology for this one. Like I think there is this kind of zombie which are still w- walking around not knowing they are in a bad situation or trying to save the day because they are alone out of maturity and they don't need to repay it until the end of the quarter or the end of the next quarter. So they say, well, maybe we can make it back or we can find a way to refinance that in between. So so I think you, you, you may see some interesting things coming. I don't know if you saw that, but Babel Finance missed a payment on Maple uh, early mm. July, which triggered a default event on Maple from Babel Finance. So it's a question of like figuring out who is doing what and I think we have an attempt of transparency in Europe and in the US, you know, mainly driven by the, the like of Alameda and FTX, trying to push the envelope to see how clean we, we can get the situation as quickly as possible. Because I think the, the important point to not forget here is like the people who get hurt is retail investors. And if too many retail investors get hurt, then the regulators step in heavily. And if they come with a heavy hand, then the whole industry suffers and the whole industry doesn't grow properly because we have to fight against overregulation. So I think a lot of people were looking at how can we sort out the situation as quickly as possible in Europe and in the US so as people don't get hurt. And kudos to everybody who gets involved in that. I don't think we have the same transparency operation in Asia. So I would say time will tell. Are you eager to make more informed decisions around crypto using data you can trust? Chainalysis is here to help. Chainalysis demystifies cryptocurrency by providing industry-leading compliance, market intelligence, and investigation support for all crypto assets for organizations like Gemini, Crypto.com, and BlockFi. Gain unparalleled visibility and maximize your potential with the leading blockchain data platform by visiting chainalysis.com slash the scoop now. This episode is brought to you by IWC. IWC Schaffhausen is known for continually innovating within the world of Swiss watchmaking. 
a pioneer in the use of titanium and ceramics, IWC today specializes in highly engineered watch cases manufactured from advanced materials such as colored ceramics, ceritanium, and titanium aluminide. This year's collection includes colored ceramic pieces in Lake Tahoe white and woodland green. Discover the new collection at IWC.com or download the IWC app to experience a virtual try-on now. What's the state of institutional leverage right now? On the trading capital market side, is it easy for you to, to lever up or to have folks extend capital to you? Yeah, CoinShare always got access to its credit line. We have been working with our credit facilities for years now, so we don't really have a, a liquidity issue. We, we, we can leverage ourselves up if need be. It's a question of finding the right opportunities, and right now we don't really feel the need to be leveraged up. Now, what is clear is like there is a massive squeeze in terms of available capital. A lot of firms were used to borrow uh, in an uncollateralized manner, you know, especially the, the mid and small uh, market maker. This is not happening anymore, uh, or if it's happened, it's going to be repriced fairly aggressively uh, because all of a sudden people realize the risk is very different or they realize the risk is what it is, more, more, more precisely. And at the same time, we get the Fed hiking. So, you know, you get Treasury at 3%. Uh, paying 7% is not so exciting versus paying 3% when the treasury are paying zero. So I think it's a question of like uh, repricing all this loan and, and finding people who understand what's happening. I, I do believe DeFi infrastructure is quite important in that process because what we've seen is like the, the disturbance come from the chaos created by Black Box, which are these big CFI lenders. And I think DeFi has a lot of benefit to that point. So, you know, everything like Clearpool, TrueFi, Maple, to, to quote a few, have a lot of work to do to improve the protocol, to improve what they're offering so they can bring to the market a new platform which guarantee or attempt to guarantee uh, transparency. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of one of the big stories out of this event, the juxtaposition between the centralized lending platforms and the decentralized lending protocols with the latter really being kind of robust. You can't ghost a smart contract, right? It's built in a way that you have to pay back that loan. Looking at, I think you guys are coming into the United States, right? Or kind of plotting a, a move into North America. We, we're taking our time. Let's put it this way. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. We're building our European operation. Uh, it's something we have to keep building. We, we get this leadership position in Europe. There is a saying, which is the U.S. is a graveyard for European elephant. So we want to make sure we're not becoming a, another uh, victim so of, of that. Uh, because it's, you know, there's a lot of things to take into consideration. It's not just about hiring people. It's about bridging culture, bridging the way people work, which sometimes is different. Yeah. Uh, and it's also about bringing products which are working well. For instance, our asset management business will never be able to come, at least in its existing form, to the U.S. because all our listed products are not marketable in the U.S. easily. So, you know, unless we redevelop a full distribution team in the U.S., there is not a lot of upside for us. And at the same time, the asset management program we're doing are not authorized in the U.S. so far. So. You know, it would be very counterintuitive for us in 2022 to make an application for yet another trust. 
You'd also have to come here all the time, which would be annoying. But I can visit you this way more often. But then, but then yeah, exactly. Then we can get nice dinners and, and hang out. When you're building in a new like country, in a new market, you really need to have boots on the ground. And, and yeah, in many so ways, it's, it's a Herculean effort. It's a big effort, but it's a fantastic market at the same time because the U.S. Yeah. is such a big, you know, you make business in Europe, you get like X number of countries, uh, depending if it's post or pre-Brexit, where you authorize to make business. The rules are changing depending on countries. It's very different languages, different rules, different customs. You move to the U.S., you get this massive market opening to you, you know, so it's not for no reason that the U.S. is still the biggest capital market in the world. Uh, it's just because of this massive opportunity in front of you. Now that the dust is settling to an extent, where are the opportunities as a proprietary trading firm right now? Things seem a bit quiet. Where are you finding Alpha? It is quiet right now, but it's the right time to build. You know, So you know when the market is completely crazy and people are calling in all directions and so is that like fine-tuning your algorithms or something like that? It's time to build. You know, it's time to do some more research, it's time to do some more work on the ground. So we're just like busy doing engineering work and, mm. and catching up with what we don't have the time to do when the market is red hot. So it's a, it's a good time and it's actually a refreshing time to be in because you can really focus on, on what you want to build and how you want to build for the next phase. But you know, there is plenty of stuff to look at. You know, like this, as I mentioned before, this old DeFi ecosystem is like what people do is really scratching the surface at the moment. It's like really, you know, if you want to go deep into DeFi and understand it properly and be able to to trade effectively in a DeFi environment, it takes much more than just reading and you know, a couple of smart contracts and and code a couple of lines solidity. So there's plenty of things to think about. There's all this kind of argument about bridges. JM, is there anything you won't touch now? Are any yields above, uh, you know, ten percent just gonna send you running the other way? Or algo stable coins are they off limits now? What what are you telling your risk department not to? Or what is your risk department telling you? Maybe. Yeah, it's more like what they tell us not to touch. Because, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think you know, in a very candid manner, it's like you always get this power play between risk and trading where. When you have some good results, you know, the risk tend to say, okay, it's good, but it's still tend to keep a very strong focus on you. Uh, and the moment you get an accident, then you get, uh, they tend to take over and like, start to look at you even more. And then everything becomes a big discussion. So it's a question of like being able to normalize the relationship and, and make sure we stay business focused and business centric. So it's not a question of what being off limits, more a question of like, how do you educate? Yeah, fair enough. It's a brand new territory for everybody. Yeah, like uh, compliance, risk, all these people are also discovering. And one of brings them new ideas, like, oh, no, they, they find out something new. <laughs> so so it's not yeah. always good news for them because it's like new stuff to learn. But like we are very lucky because our team is very, very pro innovation. So they kind of dive deep into it and look into it uh, whilst trying to keep us safe. You know, like the idea of a risk and compliance team is not to say no to things, it's more to say, okay, well, that's okay, but did you think about the regulation about that and how what it means? Because the biggest problem for CoinShare is like, well, it's not a problem. It's like more of an ethic point of view. It's like having been regulated all our life, even in our previous kind of career, it's very difficult to say, oh, this is not securities. Let's pretend as if they were not securities. So we have always 
acted in our trading as if these assets will be deemed as securities at some point. So, you know, there's plenty of stuff we refuse ourselves Got to it. carry some costs and also, you know, kind of pigeonholes you a bit into some of the opportunities you can go after. Yeah. That makes sense. You know, in hindsight, everything's 2020, which is a trite thing to say, but true. And, you know, the, the fact that you, you, you can just tell, like, one thing's for sure. You mentioned LMAX. I spoke with David a few days after Terra blew up. He's a very passionate man. Have you ever met him? Uh, no, I never met him. Whenever he's very excited about something, he just bangs his table very hard, which is like, I don't know if Steven, our audio engineer, ever had to edit one of his shows, but he's like slamming on the table when he's making a point. Anyway, he said for Forex guys, I don't know if you have a Forex background, but he saw it coming because all pegs are meant to depeg at some point, which kind of scared me because I'm thinking, oh, well, not tether, right? Please not tether because that would be really bad. Well, look, I think it's a Soros quote. It's not the David quote, which is every peg is meant to be broken. And that's something Soros make a, a life, <laughs> like a, a yeah. for himself, yeah. breaking the Bank of England. And look, you can't compare whilst being intellectually honest, you know, something like Tether or Circle and something like Terra UST. It is just not possible to compare them. You know, one is algorithmic, not really backed, if you look at it properly, uh, with a kind of uh, fulfilling prophecy loop in the middle where, you know, if Terra starts to be attacked, then Luna goes to zero. So it's all built on trust, while the other one is built on reserve. Now, I appreciate people have question about Tether Reserve. I think these guys are doing all the work they can to make the market comfortable and feeling they're doing a good job. You know, so far they have been uh, doing some incredible amount of redemption without uh, a problem. So, you know, Conchia never yeah. had a problem trading Tether and Conchia never had a problem trading USD Circle. Now, these two things are much more akin as an animal to big money market fund than anything else. That's really what they are, except they're not kicking back like that, that yield to the, to the user. No, they're not. But like, you know, in terms of management of what they are in yeah. the back end, it's like yeah. really functioning as a money market fund. And that's why some people are a little worried that the SEC might deem it a at least USDC as a security, but I think they've moved to full cash reserves, which maybe changes that situation. In any case, we're going to have Paolo Ardiono on the show. You should, because he's a great advocate of what he I does. Know. And yeah. uh, he's a very, very entrepreneurial person as well. So yeah. he's a good client for the show, definitely. Yeah, I think so. And the one thing I like about him is he's very transparent, at least to me, you know, Things crop up, things pop up, and I hit him with a question. He typically responds fairly quickly and gives color, gives context. But there's always many sides to a story. What's the expression? Yeah, look, like I can only go with what I know. You yeah, know, I've, yeah. You know, Share and myself, I've been working with Bitfinex since 2012. Yeah. Tether, we've been working with them since 2016, 17, when they get created. Now, what people forget as well, too often, is like, why does Tether exist? Tether exists because the bank were trying to kill the industry. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's very easy for the bank to just say, oh, these stable coins are not okay. But like they're really here because exchange like EatBit in Singapore were having every single wire denied because the moment you were sending money to what was it, man? Because I standard chattered. Uh, you were clearing through Bonnie, and Bonnie was like, nope, declined. And you know the money was going back to your account, minus $25 commission for Bonnie. So Tether, in the beginning, was created as an entrepreneurial project to make sure we can fluidify the system where all these exchanges try to function, and they were blocked. So it was a clever idea, which was put together, and they tried to scale it in them now. That's what I'm saying. You know, we've been working with them. We never had issue with them. And and the team, as you said yourself, uh, is always answering us and always uh, ready to to answer any question. So we can't blame them. We can't blame them for that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when we first started the block, we um, wrote a few pieces that fired up the Bitfinex folks. And <laughs> we broke some stories about their thorny banking relationships and one of the firms that kind of were at the center of it all was this company, Deltec. And um, I can't remember, but I think we brought to light that they were banking Tether and it kind of caused some issues. I see this guy who ran, runs Deltec. He's, well, he's hilarious, first off, but he, he flags me down in the Bahamas. And he's so funny. He goes, I can finally yell at you face to face. And, and, uh, I said, at least you're still around, you're surviving and thriving. And we just had like a big laugh and, um, look, it's hard. It you know, is. It's hard. <laughs> they're not going to bank tether with uh, Goldman Sachs, you know, it's just, uh, unless, unless the world turn around that like, you know, yeah. this has been created because the bank were trying to kill it yeah, or to kill crypto in general. But this is what makes crypto interesting right there's all these weird dynamics all of these weird storylines i think like one thing that maybe you can help me with one day is when i i want to write like the liars poker of uh crypto trading everyone's written books about the technology but no one's really weaved a whole narrative about these different deaths that you know are kind of it's kind of weird it's kind of different right like everything's happening on telegram none of the traders i know have like bloomberg terminals there's this weird element of the early days. Like I've talked to people like Michael Morrow about, you know, in 2013, people would show up with briefcases of cash looking to make an OTC trade. I mean, it's just, it's just a, such a rich market for, for storytelling. It, it, it's changing very fast. Yeah. You know? It's changing very, very fast. If you go back to the early days of hedge fund business, there was people coming in with suitcase of cash as well it just like changed very it just evolved very quickly because it was institutionalizing as well and same thing with crypto crypto user in the early days were not the best user and it has transformed over the years and it has improved and it has become this different this very very different type of animal now you're talking about writing a book you know like there there is this kind of old book in traditional market called market wizard you know there will be definitely space for a market wizard of crypto at some point, and maybe not just one volume, maybe a couple of volumes. Yeah, it could be a whole series. So you were talking about the evolution of the market. It is changing so fast. I mean, at least for me, the past four years have just been a blip. And, you know, it, it's kind of hard to conceptualize the growth and the amount of people and capital that have poured into this space. How do you see it 
evolving over the next year? What sort of things do you anticipate happening that will kind of make the market more robust? You know, a couple of minutes ago, I told you, like, you know, there is subtle equilibrium between risk compliance and trading. And depending on the period, you know, one is kind of like gearing up and the other one is a bit more following. And right now at Congier, because of what happened, we get a very strong oversight of risk and compliance, which is completely justified and which is like making sure we are resetting correctly. But at the same time, what I see with that is like Coinshare is just like a lab of what's happening in the outside world. And I think, you know, the mission of the regulator is to protect retail investors. If you look at how many people get hurt by Terra in general, if you go to Reddit on Terra, you can see people which are suicidal. Uh, if you look at how many people get hurt by all these lending platform who got shut down, you know, chapter 11 or anything, which is very unfortunate, but again, it's retail investors who get hurt. Uh, you know, if you take a, one of these... Uh, Companies, the average uh, claiming millions of accounts, the average account size is not billions of dollars or millions of dollars. The average account size is probably like a couple of grand. So if it is a couple of grand, that's a lot of people who are suffering from this loss. Mm-hmm. And this couple of grand means something for these people. Yeah. Uh, so we have to be absolutely acutely aware of that. And as a consequence, I think we're going to see the regulator coming in to ask for accountability. Uh, and to ask for, uh, okay, guys, how do you plan to to make that not happen? And by the way, we're going to make sure ourselves it's not happening by putting this law together to make sure you are uh, not doing that again. You know, we saw it in the mortgage business. If you look at pre-2008 and post-2008, it's two, it's two different businesses. So I, I think the, the only fear I get is like the absence of regulation for so long is going to result probably in over-regulation at the gate. Uh, and it's going to be our mission as an industry to come together to make sure that, A, we are, if not self-regulated, regulated whenever it's possible. But it's also going to be the mission of users to make sure they are going with the right actors because it's very easy to go with the more saying. If the more saying is non-regulated and offshore player, well, you know, you, you can only blame yourself. So it's a, I think uh, both the industry need to grow up, become more regulated and more accountable for what's happening. And at the same time, the user needs to be more, more realist about if someone offers you something too good to be true, well, maybe it's too good to be true. And you know, that, that's why you get a regulated actor and non-regulated actor. Some sagic words of wisdom from JM. Not sure if the wisdom, but it's, <laughs> it's just like the direction of travel seems pretty clear and you can see all the action that Sam is doing in the US is trying to make sure that not too many people get hurt by these events. So as the regulator kind of sees that and kind of, uh, you know, okay, crypto is, a agitated be- is an agitated teenager. We just need to calm down a little bit, but, you know, we don't need to take a too severe action. You know, So I, I think that's a... That's the whole idea. But you know, unfortunately, I think we're still going to see the regulator coming out with a, a pretty heavy hand. We'll see what Mr. Gansler has up his Yeah, but you know, that's why Conchia has been regulated since the beginning. And we, we believe we should be regulated. And, and we keep pushing for regulation because that's the only way to make the right triage between different players. JM, thanks so much for joining the show today. Appreciate you stopping by. 
We'll see you in person soon. We can record in person at some point. Where can our listeners learn more about you and what you're working on at CoinShares? CoinShares.com. All my Twitter accounts. Easy. Easy. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Frank. Take care. The Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have an awesome day.